0: You're listening to Women Making Waves. Now here's someone very interesting here, Tanya Lambert Linda. You had an interview with her. She's been in the energy industry for ten years and then she completely changed career. She did. This is a fascinating story, actually. Yes, indeed. She was they were doing very well in the energy industry, then the, the family business. I guess times changed and requirements changed and her particular business went down. And she picked herself up off the ground and she yeah, she had a big thing to herself. What do I like and what do I want to do with my life? And she decided that she liked cooking and she liked being healthy and, of course, absolutely loved her children. So she combined all of that into a sauce-making venture and she's got a fascinating story to tell. So we'll be listening now to Linda Ness talking to Tanya Lambert.
1: We had the neighbours knock on the door when I was making sauce at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning saying, can you please stop making sauce? (laughs) So. (laughs)
0: I'm always fascinated to hear how someone took a homemade product from the kitchen to the shelves of a supermarket. I'm joined today by someone who did just that. Tanya Lambert is founder of The Saucy Affair, a brand of sauces that aims to allow people to quickly make a meal that tastes like it's made from scratch. Tanya is on a mission to get people eating healthily and for families to sit around the table together. Tanya, thank you very much for joining us today.
1: Could you tell us your story? Have you always wanted to work in the food industry? My background is nothing to do with food. I started working in the energy industry back in 2007. We grew the business from three people to 120, from zero to a £40 million pound turnover. Highly successful and I absolutely loved my job. Incredibly passionate to the extent that people would say if you'd cut Tanya in half, you'd find copper because the <laughs> unit that we used to sell was made of copper so in 2011, something amazing happened to me and I was blessed to get pregnant. And I thought after three months, I was going to go straight back into the office and everything would be normal. <laughs> uh-huh. It didn't quite work like that. I actually <laughs> cried every single day. I went back into the office and after about two weeks, I said to my husband, right, that's it. I need to take some leave, and let's have another one.
0: Yeah. It is such a wrench, though, isn't it, when you've been with a child? I took six months off, and I was the same. I went back into the office. All I could think of all day
1: is, how, how is she? How is she? How is she? Awful. It is, <laughs> and it's a huge perspective shift, because all of a sudden, having just thought about yourself, you're going into work, and you're thinking, actually, I should really be taking care of them. Yeah. Guilt. There's guilt as yeah. well, isn't there? And it is heavy. The guilt, it's also a level of insecurity, because all of a sudden... You've created a new life into this world that actually no book can give you how you're going to do it That's and right. get it right. Mm-hmm. So, as I say, I packed it in and I was blessed to meet my son, um, who is 15 months between them. And when they were one, two years old, I became aware that the business that we had grown as a family um, had gone from a 40 million pound turnover down to a 6 million in a very short period of time. Good Lord. It was a very painful time and I was invited back by my father to go back into the business and to see if we could make changes and give it a rebirth. Mm -hmm. I went back in, started off as a part time and very quickly because of the pressures of the business, it turned into a full time role. Yeah. So over the course of the next 15 months, every measure we put in place was intended to build the business back to where it was in its form. But you need money to do that. Mm -hmm. And we learned very quickly that, unfortunately, we didn't have the money and went through a very painful period where we actually had bailiffs knocking on the door. And there was only one option for the business, and that was a prepack administration. Oh, gosh, that's so stressful. It was a very, very stressful time. It made worse when you've got two little ones at home that you barely see. My father had actually made the decision to step back from the business for health reasons. Over the course of the next three months, and that's a year into my return back to work, I barely saw the children. On the day of the signing of the pre-pack administration, and my big thing was I wanted to be able to help the people that had worked with us from an employee level. yeah. yeah. That's great. And maintain their jobs. And then similarly, the people that had supplied to us and our partners, we also honoured the payment terms that we had in place. On the day of the signing of the deal, though, I did say to my husband, if my life hasn't changed in three months, I need to say goodbye in terms of handing in my notice. I gave it the three-month period, and in fairness, it was actually too long. I got to a very sensitive point in terms of my life from a mental health standpoint. And I no longer recognise myself either as a mother or as a career woman. And I was a bit like a ghost. And I handed my notice. So I then um, made the decision that I was going to take six months gardening leave and spent that six months trying to rebuild myself. Three months into that period, I realised it was probably time for me to get a job. One thing I did learn very quickly was I was not a stay-at-home mum. No. (laughs) (laughs) I like to be active and like to be busy. Exactly. And I like to have that purpose for me. And that was what I developed over that period of time. So having been through this period, I had a reality check. And that was, I didn't want to work in energy anymore. anymore. I didn't want to commute in and out of London because of the pressures it was putting on the family. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something that I loved and I was passionate about. And I had to remember what I was passionate about. And I started to reflect on my life and it came down to being healthy, a love for cooking. Somehow bring my children into what I was doing making a difference that was a grounding force for me was to somehow make a difference to other people for the better and finally a love for arts and a love for poetry so how can I tie it all together and I don't think I'll ever forget the day that I said to my husband right I know what I want to do I want to make dressings because everybody loves my salads people that don't eat salad love my salad my children were eating salad because of what I was putting on them and this is at the age of two and three so I founded the DressGarade Source Company, which is originally and is the holding name for the business. And you're probably wondering why Dressquerade. If you've seen our website, you will have seen I'm wearing a black dress and a mask. There are several meanings behind this. The first one is I do believe that every mealtime should be a performance and it's worth dressing up for. But the deeper meaning behind that particular dress is I was walking down Berkhamsted High Street in January 2017 and I saw this black dress. And for the first time in around about, two, three years, I actually wanted to try something on for me. I tried it on and it fit like a glove. (laughs) I had absolutely no reason to buy it, nowhere to wear it. But I thought, I can't forget this feeling. I was looking in the mirror and I was seeing the me before children and the me before my career. It's kind of symbolic, really, isn't it? It is. And I know that so many other mums go through that level of insecurity when you go back to work and trying to weigh up your family life the juggle the consistent am I doing enough the guilt as you mentioned earlier Mm. so I bought the dress and as I say I hadn't actually had the business idea at that point in time but I bought the dress and it occurred to me when I founded the business somehow I wanted to incorporate that dress into my story to be able to engage with essentially the target audience the people I really want to help which is the men and women out there who are having to cook for families but don't have the time to cook from scratch Mm. Now, the mask, and a lot of people ask about what's the mask all about and is a great gimmick, but actually it's a much deeper meaning than a gimmick for me personally. It is about the healthy in disguise from the outside world, but for me personally, I have a history from the age of eight. Essentially, my parents' relationship was breaking down, and that was a time when we stopped eating around a table, and the impact that that had on me personally was profound, and at the age of eight, I wasn't able to verbalise or to communicate my feelings. And the way I turned was I met my phantom. And my phantom is the form of mental illness, an eating disorder and a level of addiction. And from the age of eight through to the age of 23, I suffered through that experience on and off. And and by 23, I was in rehab. When I went into rehab, I was broken. I think most people are when they go into rehab. But then similarly, when I came out, I was very raw. Now, I was taken to see Phantom of the Opera. And I'd seen it before, but this next time that I saw it, It was an amazing experience and it sounds very cliched, a moment of clarity, but I watched it and cried all the way through it because finally I could personify my illness. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to actually say, I can see you, I'm starting to understand you, then I can start to essentially work with you to make me stronger, make me better. And so that mask, that's the deeper meaning. And then that also stretches into what I'm trying to achieve with this business is the Immediate connection with gut health, mental health, family health. And in today's society, our children are dealing with increased pressure from social media. Yeah, absolutely. One of the causes for me in terms of the future of going forward with this business is I want to make a very meaningful impact in terms of a campaign towards supporting mental health, particularly in children and in families. You want to do something in the charity sector? Absolutely. I mentioned that I started the business on the basis of dressings. And I very quickly realized, having evaluated the market, there was no way I was going to be able to communicate to mums, buy these dressings and your children will eat more salad and more fruit and veg. So the alternative was I started to actually load the salad stuff into the dressings. And I decided that I wanted a target point of 70% and above fresh fruit, veg and herbs, keeping out any salt keeping gluten-free and lactose-free out of them and keeping ensuring they were minimally processed. And the reasons being is even in today's world, you look at the press, the impact of ultra-processed food in today's society, particularly in the UK, is terrifying. Yeah, And for me, from my background, that was a fuel to my eating disorder because it is proven that ultra-processed food can lead you to overeating, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm so I spent the first six months making this product at home. And that six months was all about taste testing, recipe testing, writing down recipes. I started to work with a wholesaler, a local one to me in Berkhamsted, And they. I'm talking to people on Rouse Honey. I remember talking to them saying, look, I've got this amazing idea and we're going to be a 50 million pound business. So help me out here and give me bulk buys. And it was you dream, I think, as the entrepreneur, your dream is so big, but so real for you. Yeah. And you can, but see- you've
0: done it before, haven't you?
1: <laughs> so for you, it must have been far more real. It it was. The only thing is, this time it was in it was in my business, and it was entirely in my hands, and it was a product that I was creating. And I think that was quite the, that was the exciting bit. And even till to today, that is the exciting bit. I'm not teaching other people about a product that somebody else has made. I've mm-hmm. made this product and now I'm trying to educate people. So I'd finally finalized the, res- the recipes. I then did a soft launch locally in a sushi place and friends and family came around and everyone gave it the thumbs up. What was funny is I actually tried to sell it through the sushi place, but I didn't think to put any of the ingredients on the product in terms of labels. And unsurprisingly, people weren't buying it because they want to see what's in it. <laughs> and, you know, just these tiny little mistakes that I've made, constantly on your feet, constantly on your toes and learning. In July 2016, I decided to take the product to the first public event, which was the allergy show in central London. And it was the first time I was going to wear my black dress and my mask. I had four other ladies, actually, friends of mine, in black dress and masks. We had this stand and we had this homemade product. And... The one thing that's really important is I never ever wanted to pasteurise and heat the products. I wanted to keep them as close to nature as possible, so mm-hmm. that in their raw form they retained. The but they would value. have to be kept for a period of time. They would have to last. Absolutely, and at home they were lasting, in fairness, for three months, and that I'd had them shelf life tested. My homemade version for three months, so I thought, yeah, I've got something here. At this particular show, I had a huge amount of interest from the major retailers, from Costco as the Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Waitrose. They all. Nobody else is doing what you're doing, which is a huge buzz buzzfet. I'm like, yeah, this is brilliant. Oh yeah. And what people loved was the fact not only could you use them as dips and dressings, but at this show, I also took my cooked product. When I say cooked, that's using it as a cooking from scratch solution the pit stop between a ready meal and cooking from scratch so all of this combined all this attention from the retailers and then costco said to me are you accredited and i looked at them incredibly blankly thinking what do (laughs) they (laughs) mean what's accredited and what they actually meant was am i brc accredited and i wasn't so i then did some research and i thought i need to find someone that's going to make this product for me my husband wouldn't allow me to have any more than seven fridges in the house, and I had three fridges. So. Seven
0: fridges
1: was that was that your maximum? Was it? Yeah, well, yeah, oh. yes, absolutely. That was How it. unreasonable. <laughs> And it's an important point that you mentioned there. It's because one thing from my previous career is I started this business on a government loan because I lost everything in my past in terms of financial security. So I've started this in 25K, and 25K pretty much covered those fridges combined with the electricity bill to pay for those fridges to run (laughs) and the blenders. And we had the neighbours knock on the door when I was making sauce at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning saying, can you please stop making sauce? (laughs) So. (laughs) So the search was for the manufacturer and I was introduced to a company and I'm not going to say names uh, out of respect, but it was a business that it looked on the surface and particularly to someone like myself, somebody who could make the sauce and they talked the language and they said what we need to hear. But I turned up on the first day of manufacturing. The first thing that they'd said to me is, we will only produce your product if you let us pasteurize it because you will never get the shelf life that you need. So listening to them, I thought, okay, fine, let's do this. I arranged for all of the ingredients to turn up at this particular site. And the idea was to make 1,800 bottles of each product. I turned up and I'd been promised two chefs and three kitchen hands to help support me during the course of the day. Only one chef was there and I later found out that she'd only been employed that day. Oh, gosh. So one thing I've learned through being an entrepreneur and mumpreneur is you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to just kind of wipe yourself off when you do get surprised. But the experience was expensive. We got a pasteurised product at the end of it. The day I had a major event in Ali Pali, the foodie festival, and then another one at Speciality Fine Foods, two weeks, and this is what that product was being made for. When we were labelling the bottles, we saw little pieces of blue in them and it turned out that we were looking at Blue Rubber Band so I couldn't actually sell any product <gasps> at the shows oh no and I'd paid the best part of 5k to get them to that point nonetheless so I just thought how, how can we use it to benefit us because we paid them at the cost for the shows they're not cheap and we turned it into a marketing research activity so we served the sauce, but we obviously protected the consumers. But we asked key questions like, what's the recommended retail price? Would you expect it? What stores would you expect to see it from? What do you think of it? What do you think of the names? And I think that's an important part. I haven't mentioned anything about the names. I founded the business on the basis I had names for the products. And when you hear the names, you'll see the connection between the poetry. So it's teriyaki malarkey, <laughs> smoky cokey, beetroot kahoot, cucumber blunder, tarragon shenanigan fiery fiasco. What I found out during these events was, yeah, people like them, the pasteurized version. At Speciality Fine Foods, I thought, right, I'm going to take advantage of the big food industry feel about this show and benefit from their feedback in terms of what the products are. There were uh, probably the best part of 50 different pasteurized source companies in the arena. And I thought, on the last day, I'm going to bring in my raw product. So the last day... I made the batches at home before I brought them in and asked people to try them. And the visual impact in terms of the taste, texture, the freshness, the cleanliness that I could see on these individuals' faces, I just thought, no, I need to keep this product raw. The Saucy Affair is a great name. How did you come up with it? Well, when I had the dress company, I can honestly say no one could actually pronounce it. So very quickly I thought, right, how can we turn this and make it more fun, more accessible, and people knew what it was. Yeah. So I have created and I've been living a love affair with Sauce. So it has kind of developed into the idea that it's actually Tanya's Saucy Affair. And we are going through some exciting rebrand movements at the moment, which is moving it from Saucy Affair to Tanya's Saucy Affair so I can hone in on it. And you had the same of getting it up to, a, what was it, a £50
0: million turnover? Are you, are you getting there bit by bit? No, not yet. <laughs>
1: But you're you're certainly trying your best, and that's the main thing. Absolutely. You know, it was a five-year plan, but I imagine it's going to be an eight-year plan. I wish you all the luck in the world. You're a very dynamic person, I can tell that, and I think that you'll achieve everything that you need to
0: achieve. Thank you very much, Tanya Lambert, for coming in and talking to us. Thank you very much, Linda. And that was Tanya Lambert talking to Linda Ness.